Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's Teaching of the Week. If this is your first time, welcome. So glad that you were able to join us. If you'd like to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about restoration, you can go to restorationaz.org. And with that said, we hope you enjoy this week's teaching from Landon Myers. We're going to read a bunch of the Bible today, but kind of be all over. We're starting this practice thing next Sunday, which means that I had a standalone, which is really dangerous. Uh, I didn't just like have something to study and that was what we were going to teach. I had to listen and pray and study and try to discern what, what God was leading to today. And so through a little bit of death and a lot of circumstances and things that have happened... We're going to talk about what we're going to talk about today. Here's a a little kind of caveat before that. So often we put God in this little tiny God box. We want to kind of contain him in this prison of our minds of sorts because we're comfortable with it. We want to be able to control God by understanding God. We want to be able to talk about him and know things about him in a way that we can like adequately uh, converse in and articulate and understand. And so I think often we put God in this box and we say, you belong there, stay there, because my mind can't intellectually handle anything beyond that. And I think it's really dangerous. Like how sad would it be if we fully comprehend the almighty God of the universe? And so I think it's a tactic Satan perhaps uses to limit God's power in our relationship to him, and we do it when we want to fully grasp him instead of going, who is God, and letting that be what it is. And so this morning, we're going to kind of explode little bits of that box, perhaps, and it's going to be a, a little bit of work, but I encourage you to, to go on this journey with me and to, to really allow your mind to explore what the scriptures actually say about who God is. So here we go. The Bible is not about the beginning. The Bible is not about the end. The Bible is about the middle. And that's what we we see in the scriptures. I want to begin kind of looking at uh, how the scriptures articulate this in John uh, chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to put the first five verses on the screens, but then I'm going to continue to read these words. In the beginning was the word. Word is capitalized. It's a name here for Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, that's not confusing at all, like full understanding at this point. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh 
and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Uh, So much of that passage is referencing the very, very beginning of the scriptures. Genesis 1-1 mirrors what we just read. We read this, the very first sentence of the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If I skip down to verse 26 of of chapter 1, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So in the beginning, but there was clearly a beginning before this beginning. Let us make man in our image. There's an us that was not created. There was an us that existed for all of time. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, and all the earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Again, uh, the Bible's not about the beginning or the end. The Bible's the middle. There was a beginning before creation. There was an us. There was an our, the, the person that... God is, and that makes my head hurt a little bit. I don't know about you, but I don't just instantly intellectually understand who God is. Do you ever stop and actually think about this? So we read this word God, three letters that make a noise, a certain sound that we call a word, God, G-O-D, a word uh, compiled of letters of our alphabet. We'll sing songs with this word in it, this combination of three letters, G-O-D. Do you have kind of an assumption that you put in a box and that's what you think of when we sing about God or read about God in what we call God's word? Like who actually or what is this G-O-D, God? It's a, it's a title, it's a language that we use to describe something. But do you ever like stop and put effort to think about what actually is this something or who actually is this something? I'm gonna like let it be awkward for too long and I want you to actually think about it. Like G-O-D, when we read that, when we sing about it, who or what is this? How is it different than any other religion? or even maybe different denominations, but who is this God? Go ahead and take just a minute. If you need to, close your eyes, think about it, reflect, like what does that actually mean?
One of my friends and and mentors, Chuck, wrote a a book about serving local schools. And in this book, he, he talks about this. I want to read part of it to you. Chuck said this, before the world was created, God existed as he always has, or God existed as he always was, as Father, Son, and Spirit. Nothing had been created at that point. God was who he is, but he was not lonely in need of anything. The Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father, and their love was perfect and purely communicated in the person of the Holy Spirit, and it was always that way. They lived in perfect joy and affection. At the core of existence, then, when you peel back all the layers, this is what you find, a triune God who is love. And the, the letter of First John in the, the New Testament, we read that phrase, God is love. I think we think we understand what that means, but this is what that means. God is love. Chuck continues in the same book to say this. Good Christian doctrine should lead us to think of the reality at the heart of all creation, meaning the purpose of this world and our relationships and everything in it. Good Christian doctrine should lead us to think of the reality at the heart of all creation. When we see the letters G-O-D, we should think of a community of relationships God is not a concept we can try to dissect. Rather, he is a relationship we participate in. And so often, I think as the church, as we try and attempt to follow Jesus, what we do is try to dissect who God is. We talk a whole lot about who God is, which is very different than actually knowing God walking with God, experiencing who God is as a relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. It's, it's kind of like this. I could tell you all about my mother. Her name is Danette. She's an incredible, wonderful woman who's nervous right now because I'm talking about her. She loves people fiercely. Our house is uh, always incredibly hospitable. Growing up, it was like not who else is living at our home right now or there, but like, or not if, but who. Like someone's always there. And uh, she's an incredible gift giver as well. Just the other night, my oldest daughter, Aaliyah, went over there for a, a sleepover. And uh, we all call my mom Bama now because my oldest Aaliyah was the, the firstborn grandchild and she couldn't say grandma, so she said Bama. And it really fits my mom's personality well. Like she can pack a, a punch passionately with how she, she carries herself. So Aaliyah goes to Bama's house and comes back and I get home and there's clothes everywhere on our kitchen counter. I'm like, this is stressful. Why so many things? What is going on? I look at my wife, and she's like, well, Aaliyah went to Bama's, and she got a whole new wardrobe. And then my wife, Chelsea, pauses and goes, I want to go to Bama's for a sleepover. (laughs) I could tell you how old my mom is and where she was born and when her family moved from California to Arizona and about her siblings and her father and her mother and all of these things about her for quite a while. I could talk about my, my, my lovely mom, but that would not mean that you know her. You would just know about her and it is not at all the same. It would be settling. I think so often, this is what's on my heart this morning and has been for a couple weeks, so often we settle when it comes to G-O-D. We settle to know stuff about him 
rather than to personally know him. And there's a massive, stark, very significant difference in those two things. In John chapter uh, 14, Jesus starts teaching his disciples uh, about this. And it's a little bit uh, confusing, I imagine, for them as well. But John chapter uh, 14, beginning in verse 19, Jesus is teaching. We read this. In a little while, the world will see me no longer, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. And that day you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. I don't think they were confused at all at that point. He continues in verse 21. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. I, I kind of picture the disciples at this point just like nodding their head because they're a little afraid to admit that they have no idea what he's saying. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the father will send him in my name. Let me reread that. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. Very simple stuff. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. I want to read you one more quote here from from Chuck in the same book. He says this, creation then. The reason we exist in this world is here and we're breathing in these chairs in this room today. Creation then is an invitation to experience the loving relationship God has always been. Creating was a way in which God was sharing himself. God was a perfect, self-sustaining and loving relationship. The father was loving the son and the son was responding to that love. The Holy Spirit then was doing what he always does, communicating God's love. This is why Paul prays in Ephesians for the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in our inner beings by helping us grasp the love of Jesus. It is also why Paul states in Romans 5 that the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that communicates God as love to the world. When we consider God in this way, we begin to understand ourselves as people created in his image. We are relational beings designed to love. There's a a reality that there's not one single person in this room, let alone in this city or state or country or the entire world. Not one person exists that does not love. To, To be human means it's actually impossible to not love. Love drives everything in our world. Love can drive politics, or it does drive politics. It could be a a patriotism, a love of country. It could be love of neighbor or family or circumstances that pursue uh, in love a certain political ideology. 
Love drives technology, a passion to pursue something, something as simple as putting food on the table for a family or for yourself is all driven in love for another. Every single relationship that exists in our world is driven by love, if only love of self, but at the least that. There's nothing in our world and how we function and any action or taken or word spoken that is not driven by love. One of the, the greatest mistakes I think we actually make as we consider culture in the world is that we think there's a lack of love. And there is absolutely no lack of love in our world. I remember four or so years ago watching some sporting event. I still don't remember what it was. It could have been the Super Bowl or World Cup or something. And there's this stadium filled with people. And there was these signs saying love. As if the problem in our world was a lack of that thing, a lack of love. But there is no lack of love. It is ample. It is everywhere. It's often just inverted. It's often not sourced in Jesus, and it's primarily self-serving. Hear this, the loving things other than God is not a bad thing. I meant what I just said. Loving things other than God is not a bad thing. In fact, God himself made us to love things other than him. Maybe the best way to say that is that he made us to love things in addition to him. When he created us into uh, this invitation, into this relationship of love, he invited us not to stop there, but to love others and neighbors, to love the world he made and the possibility of cultivation and building and embracing the good in this world. We were made for and to love. The problem is when we exchange loving God for other things. Instead of the love of God being the foundation in which we understand everything else that is to be loved, we choose to love other things in his place. And that is what actually becomes devastating. We read about this in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Paul's writing to a young Timothy and he uh, says this, if we can pull that up. But know this, difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of religion, but denying its power. Now that is powerful. Holding to the form, the structure, the skeleton, the systems, the ways that we approach religion and godliness, but not actually having relationship with God himself. Being okay to dissect this God and put him in our little box that we're comfortable understanding him in, but settling for knowing about him instead of knowing him. Holding to the form of religion, but denying its power. Avoid these people. Notice Paul does not say they were without love. They were without love for what is good. There's a difference there. All of us have more than enough love. It's just where we choose to direct that love. I was driving uh, this, this week and the song came on, and these, these lyrics came up. Maybe I'm learning how to love me more. 
just a little bit, love me more. Just a little bit, love me more. Oh no, love me more. Just a little bit, love me more. And it's this song talking about somebody struggling to, to look in the mirror and kind of have a, a self-worth or respect of sorts, which does matter. We actually all should have that. Jesus died on the cross, so he was communicating, you are valuable enough for me to give up my life. So that is actually uh, like good theologically. Like There is a love of self that is not bad because Christ loved us that much. But that song could almost be taken, or those lyrics, as this cultural anthem that's twisted and inverted in the wrong way. Like, most of us don't need help loving self. We're good at it. We may not be in love, necessarily, with who we are like it, but we love ourselves well. It's intriguing to me. Kind of desperately, sadly, this is the song of humanity. Go from one love to the next, hoping that something, whatever it is, identity, pleasure, possessions, relationships, will provide what we're looking for. All the time, it's this misplaced love. I'm going to say something that sounds weird at first, but, but bear with me on this. I actually believe that we as the church, even in this church, often profane the cross of Christ by treating it as if it is the destination. I actually believe that we, as the, the church followers of Jesus, often, and I'm using this word intentionally, profane the cross of Christ when we treat it as if it is the destination, the event, the thing itself. It's like having tickets to, to go see an incredible musician and you're gonna go to the concert, but at the last minute, instead of getting in your car and parking and driving, you decide to just stay at home and pop in the AirPods or whatever and listen to the artist's recordings on Spotify. Or the Super Bowl that'll be here in about a month. Having tickets to that and dealing with that terrible parking lot and walking up and then seeing the game on a screen outside of the arena and going, ah, oh, you know what, I don't really wanna miss the game, so I'm just gonna watch it from out here. When you had tickets on the 50 yard line, but you stopped. So often, I think we settle for knowing about God, for being close to the thing than rather experiencing what it's all about. I remember when Chelsea, my, my wife and I got engaged, we kind of are and were crazy. We were 18 and we, we got engaged and I was in Virginia at school and I remember receiving a ticket from my parents to be able to come home and visit. And I was so excited for that. I deeply, deeply, deeply valued and appreciated the ticket to come home. I was deeply grateful and thankful for that ticket. I was not deeply excited to finally arrive at Sky Harbor Airport with its uniquely colored carpets at that time, nor was I that excited for the city of Phoenix or even Arizona as a whole. I was deeply excited for a person, my fiance Chelsea, and to wrap my arms around her and give her a hug and talk to her in person. Wasn't the flight that I was excited to experience or the trip. The ticket itself was not the main purpose. It was not the destination or the events. A person was, but when it comes to our following of Jesus, I actually think we've settled 
for the cross instead of the person that hung on it and gave up his life and rose from the grave. Why? Not to worship the cross, though it it certainly matters, but to be with the person who did it so that we could be invited into this relationship. I think far too often we settle. We celebrate something Jesus did instead of entering into relationship with Jesus himself. I think this is why our God has zero interest in empty religion. It's actually one of the things that infuriates him the most when we go through the motions. We, we sang a song about that not that long ago. I'm sorry that I just sang another song. I'm going through the motions hoping in some way it'll appease, uh, appease you instead of entering into a deep, loving relationship that God is. And, uh, throughout the scriptures, we read about this, but in Amos 5, 21 through 23, God is referring Uh, to this kind of empty religion. And we read God's words here. I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. By the way, those feasts and those assemblies were things God commanded them to do, yet he hates them. Why? Because they were not doing it for the right reasons. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fattened cattle. Take me away, or take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Our God has no interest in us proving ourselves through meaningless acts of devotion. He wants to actually be with us. In Jeremiah 6, chapter 20, we read something similar. God says, what used to me is frankincense from Sheba or sweet cane from a distant land. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. What a waste. So often, I think we, as we attempt to follow Jesus, bring worthless sacrifices to him that he's not actually interested in in any way or form or fashion. And different religious ideologies or denominations or whatever present to us these ideas of how we need to do it. And we get distracted by the things and the stuff and the information and the studies and the programs, and we lose sight of the actual person. It's actually really brilliant if you think about it. What, what perhaps Satan has done is put this really tasty glaze on top of our spirituality and our idea of righteousness and theology, and so we get distracted by things that get us close to God, where we can learn about him rather than actually being with him. And it seems godly and righteous and healthy, but it's settling for something so much lesser than what we could have. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, we as humans are half-hearted creatures, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think we are far too quick to settle for knowing stuff about this God because it's a ticket in our minds. That's what we've been taught. Ticket to heaven. (laughs) or a ticket to escape hell, rather than the opportunity to go be with this person that we call G-O-D, God. Over uh, Christmas, or just before, my, my wife and I were blessed with these uh, two little kittens. I, I hate cats. I'm allergic to them. 
So I sneeze and my eyes get all blurry and I go blind and I start to itch and it's just terrible. So we got these two cats really as pets with a purpose. I've spent a small, growing on not so small fortune, uh, getting cars repaired because mice have chewed the, the wires. A lot of you have experienced this as well. It's awful. And so for years we were told cats are the solution. So we get these said cats, and my, my wife made a really great decision. She told our kids, listen, you are not allowed to name the cats because these cats come and go, and there's a high likelihood that they're not going to make it. So you're not allowed to name the cats. I was fine with that. I didn't care about the cats. I don't like cats, okay? So the cats show up, and then my wife did it. She named them. Maverick and Penny. We'd get home and there's Maverick. Maverick has this like gray coat and is super playful and adorable and slowly but surely I'm like, ah, whatever, it's not that bad. Wherever Maverick would go, Penny would go. And Penny would only go wherever Maverick went. These two were like inseparable. At night, they would sleep like all cuddled up and together and it was, it was adorable. And all of a sudden I started to realize it's happening. <laughs> Not only have we named these dumb cats, but I'm starting to like them beyond the sneezing and the eyes and the blindness. And, and so they were doing their job, killing mice, our families falling in love with these dumb little cats. And then something else happened. I was driving away one day in the truck and all of a sudden Penny, just darts out of the truck as I'm driving into like the little bushes and woods next to our house and I slam on the brake and I'm like, whew, that was close. And then I heard it and there's this awful sound and I'm just like, oh no. I get out of the car and I see Maverick. I don't like Penny too much at this point even. I've hardly seen Penny. Penny usually hides in my golf bag or only goes where Maverick goes. But here's Maverick, two paws in front or legs or whatever you call them, just like scooting away, bloody and just awful. Goes into this, this bush and at this point, somehow in my incredible abilities, I butt dial Nate, right? And I'm cussing up a storm, like, I don't know it. Nate's just in my pocket listening to all that's happening as I crawl into this bush on like these pokey leaves with a bloody dying cat that I'm allergic to petting it, like, I'm so sorry. I feel terrible as I'm sneezing and going blind. And so I decided we just, we just need to like end it for this cat. We just got to shoot it, be done. This poor thing is miserable. So we're about to, and then my wife comes out and I, like the cat's tails, bro, it's bad. You don't want to know all the details, but she's like, you know what? Maybe, maybe they could fix it. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Luckily, it's just after Christmas, so we have a lot of boxes. I put the poor cat in a box, and I'm driving the truck. I'm still talking to Nate, but I don't know it. The cat is trying to get out of the box. It smells terrible. I'm, like, trying to gently push it into the box because it's, like, hurting itself. I get to some random animal hospital, and I walk in. I don't even know what I was wearing. Look horrible. Got a dying cat in a box, and I walk in, and I'm just, like, looking at him. I'm like, ugh. Got a cat in a box. Can you help me out here? 
they, they take the cat, and then this, this girl goes, are you the pastor of restoration? <laughs> like, as a matter of fact, I am. We talk for a while, and they're like, all right, we're going to go create an operating plan for this cat. And I'm thinking, oh, no. What did I do? Like, I'm just thinking about dollars at this amount. They're like, hey, the, the cat is stable, gave it some pain medication. And I'm like, how much does that cost? Thinking to myself, I should have given specific instructions on what they should and shouldn't do at this point. And finally, after what seems to be an eternity, they like bring me into this room where I'm sitting there by myself forever. And then the doctor comes out and gives me these options, none of which were good, and basically suggests we need to, to put the cat down. And so she goes, do you want to spend a little time with her? And I'm like, mm, yes. So here's this drugged up high cat. I'm sneezing with blood all over me, petting the dang thing. And finally, I'm like, all right, it's time. I leave and get a massive bill, that was fun. It cost me more to get the cat than deal with the mice so far. I leave, I am like devastated. I'm apparently just a massive wimp when it comes to, to animals. So I'm leaving and I feel really bad for Maverick, like I broke its leg, it was awful, it's dead, right? Maverick's gone. But I felt so much worse about Penny, this cat that could not function without the other. And so the whole day, we had these great plans. It was going to be a great day as a family. We had friends coming over. I'm like, call it off. We can't do that. I'm a mess. And so I'm like holding this cat and sneezing and going blind in one eye as I'm like with Penny the whole day. I even slept in the laundry room with Penny. I have this like swollen scratch mark right here because that happened. Here's why I share this. I don't know if all cats are like that. I don't really like cats other than the one left. But I've never seen two creatures be so close and together and everything. And there was like this beauty that was irresistible in the relationship they had that all of a sudden I like cats even though I'm itchy and going blind with them. And I couldn't stop having this thought. It was really, really odd about how this was a picture to me of our God. And I think he works that way sometimes. It was this picture of this deep and intimate and perfect relationship that we were brought into. I was reflecting on the Gospels, actually, and there's this moment where Jesus is sweating blood because he's going to be separated from the love of the Father. And like when I got back to my house and this cat, because I'm now a cat expert, it was meowing very differently. Like it was a different type of communication looking for Maverick. There's something about it. We settle for knowing stuff about this perfectly loving, good, giving, incredibly awesome God. That doesn't just write, that doesn't just save us from hell or offer some place called heaven, but offers intimate, perfect, fulfilling relationship with himself and others forever. And I think Satan's deceived us into settling for so much less. So my encouragement today is that this has been offered to you. Way too significant of a price was paid for you to be offered this relationship with this G-O-D. 
You'd be leaving way too much on the table to ignore what's actually being offered, even to settle for a whole bunch of religious and spiritual stuff and knowledge. So will you accept that invite? Maybe that's a a first time for you to embrace this relationship with this God. Maybe you've been following him for a long time. Maybe you're just caught up in the stuff about him. And almost like Nate saying earlier, we need to go back to the basics of enjoying God for who God is. That's why creation happened. That's what the scriptures paint a picture of for us to be invited into this. I want to Go ahead and close this morning reading, actually praying uh, that prayer that I I referred to earlier out of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Paul's prayer for a group of people in a church like us, just in a place called Ephesus. And if you're willing and able, I'd love if you would stand with me and uh, pray this together out loud as we close. Uh, Pray this with me. For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man, who is spirit, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in you, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona, and we are so thankful that you were able to tune in. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, Jump over to restorationaz.org to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we're about. Um, And if you have questions or if you'd like to connect with us, um, go ahead and hit that contact tab. We'd love to connect with you. And uh, until next time, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.